Hello and welcome to the Bright Morning Podcast. I'm Elena Aguilar. Hi friends, so this week I am wrapping up the coaching conversation that I started in episode 162. If you haven't heard that one already, you should pause this now, go listen to that episode and then come back because this one builds on episode 162. And so in this episode, you're going to hear me coach my coachee to cultivate self-compassion and to find her power. This was a really inspiring process to be a part of, and I am so grateful to her for allowing you all to listen. So before we get started, I do want to thank our listener with the username C-E-N-S-H-O-L-M-E-S, who wrote a review on Apple Podcast that reads, She's so good. I learned so much every time I listen to Elena and Bright Morning. Amazing podcast. Thank you to that listener so much for leaving that review. And you know, folks, if you haven't yet left a review and given us five stars on Apple Podcasts, it's just so fast. I know I hear podcast people asking me of this and often I have to confess, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that next time or I'll do that after I listen to the episode. So maybe just hit pause right now, go do it. It'll take you less than a minute and then come back here. Okay, or do it right after this episode because I can't wait to get you into this. So let's jump into this conversation. And I want you to know that what you're going to hear is an example of facilitative coaching. You will hear me provide some thoughtful prompts and you'll hear the client do a lot of heavy lifting. So you're going to hear me coaching emotions and I will pause the conversation and insert my pulling back the curtain reflection at one point, only one interruption in this episode, because I want to really tell you about a moment when um, I helped my coachee calm her nervous system. And you'll also hear me help her start to reconnect with her own power by loosening her grip on some beliefs that aren't serving her and replacing those beliefs with an acceptance of what currently is and a curiosity about what might be. So I am really curious what else you're going to hear when you're listening to this conversation. And at the end, I'll come back and share a few more thoughts. Okay, but let's get into part two of my coaching conversation with Andrea. I saw a meme maybe on Instagram and it said, if you go in and you only have 60% in the tank and you give 60%, then you just gave 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe that's a little bit more of what I need to indulge in. Is that idea? Yeah, let's dig into this more because what I'm hearing you talk about is the need for self-acceptance, for kindness towards yourself, for self-compassion. So tell me more about how you do that in ways that feel authentic. Hmm. I'm really good at taking something and reframing it. So if I were to say, you know, oh, I let that person down today, it would be okay, you know, taking that breath and going, hmm, did I really let that person down? 
or did I do the best I could with the tools I had in that moment? Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think that's something that I'm good with, except the job is so busy. <laughs> Being a high school vice principal is a busy job. So I can't do that, <laughs> you know, all day long <laughs> because I'm going from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just taking that time. I think that's the way to, you know, maybe to review my day and say, okay, what's kind of nagging at me right now? And how can I reframe it in a way that is going to tell a different story? Mm. I wonder about also what opportunities you have to name the uncomfortable emotions when they come up and to accept that you're experiencing them. When you feel the shame or the fear, Mm. what you can do to accept the fact that they are present in that moment. If I can just stop and name those emotions, because the problem is I tend to dismiss it. And then that creates the feeling because I'm not spending the time to actually love myself enough to say, okay, Andrea, you're experiencing something right now and it doesn't feel good. What is it? Okay, so we're going to write that down or we're going to store that somewhere because we don't have time to deal with that right now. But I need to go back and I need to revisit this because I don't want to sit in this and I don't want it to be in my dreams tonight. I don't want to wake up in the morning and think, oh boy, can I get through today? I don't want that. What is possible for you to be curious about in this situation? I think I need to be curious about why I'm focusing on my deficiencies and not my strengths. Mm -hmm. Because in my entire career, I have been a strength-based person. (laughs) That's the way I relate to my life. And so trying to find the good in others and praising it, that's what I do. So right now, because I just feel like I just didn't get in step at the beginning of the school year, I I think I've just been spinning my wheels with that. Mm. Mm. So that to me sounds again, like a need for acceptance. This didn't happen in the beginning of the year. Hmm. I forgive myself or I understand why I can let myself go. The story I'm going to tell is that that does not determine the entire year. It doesn't determine the legacy of my career. I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit more about what you mean by acceptance. Hmm. Yeah, because it's a hard one and it can feel abstract. It's a concept. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can have the cognitive acceptance, but we actually don't feel it in our body. Our nervous system hasn't responded to that idea. It's a story. I know you work with high school students, but if you are working with, let's say, little kids or if you have little children in your life, and they are just expressing a lot of distress. Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? Or what do you do with them to let them know that you love them? They're okay. They're good. They're worthy. I think if they're feeling a lot of distress, I think it would be 
you know, it's okay to feel what you're feeling, but I'm here and you're okay and we're safe together and we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in this. I'm here. Is there something about the situation you're in right now that doesn't feel safe? Ooh, I just felt that right in my belly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> something about my situation. I just had such a visceral response. And what it's done is it's created a blank in my head. Because yeah. it's something that I don't want to know. <laughs> you know, in fact, I don't even really know what that question just was, because I think you're going to have to ask me again. Because that um, created a big response. Well, so I want you to put your left hand on your chest and your right hand on your belly. Okay. And just take a few deep breaths and feel the expansion of your body. Feel the contraction with your breath. And I want you to say to yourself, I'm safe right now. My body is safe. I'm safe right now. My body is safe. And you can say that aloud or inside of yourself just a few times and feel it. See if you believe it. It's starting to shift. It doesn't have to shift, so don't feel any pressure to make it shift. You're just being with the part of you that doesn't feel safe and it doesn't know why and it's okay. You don't need to know why. Okay. I feel more peaceful with where I'm at right now. Definitely. Okay, so I want to hit pause here for a moment and talk you through what just happened. So this was a moment when so much came up for me really quickly and a lot of it was really intuitive. When Andrea was saying what she would say to a child or someone who was being distressed and she used the word safe something just sort of uh, symbolically like tingled in my being. There was something when she used that word that I thought like, oh, okay, something safe. That's a, that's a powerful word that indicates that's something really deep for someone. If someone feels safe, if they don't feel safe. And so she said what she would say to a child and then I asked her is there something about the situation you're in right now that doesn't feel safe and I know you just heard this but I'm just gonna reiterate and she said "Ooh, I felt that right in my belly she said I had such a visceral response and what it's done is it's created a blank in my head So when she said that, both her response, the words she used, right? She was talking about an experience in her body. And then she said it created a blank in my head. That kind of a response can be 
a trauma response. I'm saying can be. When people experience events in which they feel little or no control, one of the responses that people can take is to disassociate, is to, and that can be experienced through this feeling of like my mind went blank or I can't feel my body or I feel kind of numb or cold. So when Andreas said that created a blank, I don't know what that question was. You're going to have to ask me again. That created a big response. In my mind, what sort of flashed for me was this is a place where the boundaries between coaching and therapy are blurring and I need to firmly be in the coaching territory. I could have repeated the question. I could have probed this aspect of what doesn't feel safe for her. But my um, trauma-informed coaching practice, which I am writing about in the Art of Coaching 2.0, which I'm working on right now. I've learned so much about trauma since the first Art of Coaching came out. And I'm incorporating that into both my coaching practice and into the writing I'm doing. That knowledge that I have now says to me, this could be about something that's deep. This could be about something that is outside of the school building. And I don't want to go anywhere near probing that. I don't want to put Andrea in a position where she's having to differentiate those worlds and talk to me about school. It's not my job. The job of a therapist is to help someone dig into the origin of many of the thoughts and beliefs and emotions or the emotional patterns and moods and responses. That's not the job of a coach. Sometimes we do ask things like, where is their fear present? But especially when someone says talks about feeling safe, we have to be really careful. It's not that we don't always that we you know, we never go into that. Um, especially when I'll just give you what comes to mind is I've worked with a number of educators who when we're talking about issues that are really about equity and identity. I've had, for example, a number of white teachers tell me they don't feel safe with their black or Latino uh, male students. And so that is something that I will dig into. But that's because I have this context, this understanding that often what's at play is racism and white supremacy. But I had a feeling in this moment with Andrea and um, and I wanted to listen to that feeling and, and not, you know, we were meeting on video. And so if I was someone who was in the same physical space as her, if we had more time, if I was her ongoing coach, I might have not necessarily opened that up, but I might have said something more like, 
this feels like something that you might want to explore with a mental health professional and not ask her if she has explored it, but just kind of pointing to this sounds like something really deep that you deserve to get support in exploring, in unpacking. So as I recognize that like, ooh, I don't, I wouldn't say like I crossed a line because this is what happens a lot of time when you're coaching is you don't know where the lines are. This is why we need to have a trauma-informed practice. And when you recognize that you might be getting into a gray zone or something that's precarious, you need to know how to bring your client back to the present moment, to the space. And so when when Andrea said, you know, her mind went blank and she felt it in her belly, she had a visceral response. The strategy that I offered her is um, a, a fairly well-known and, and widely used uh strategy to regulate your nervous system so putting a hand on your on your chest and one on your belly like it actually doesn't really matter left hand where right hand where but being able to just physically touch and connect with your body and taking a few deep breaths and that is um, that activates the vagus nerve and it just uh, it does what our bodies need to do to kind of come back into the present moment and then I and then I did offer her this say to yourself, you know, I'm safe now. My body is safe. I'm safe right now. And again, because we were on video and I could see her response, my sense was that that would be helpful. Um, and then I just kind of gave her some space and she said, it's starting to shift. And I wanted to make sure she knew that she didn't have to shift Right. And that it was okay to just be with it. But I wanted to, you know, I really wasn't sure in that moment what would happen. And I wanted, I have a handful of strategies that I can use to bring people back into their body to help them remind themselves that they're safe. And again, this is something that I have a lot more to say about. And so I will come back to that in the Art of Coaching 2.0 and maybe in another episode. But I really wanted to just hit pause here and call your attention to that moment when this was a critical, this is a critical moment to have some understanding of what is the difference between a coach and a therapist, how I needed to be really present and tuned into what she was saying into the body language that I was witnessing on the video screen and into slowing things down and knowing when it was time to kind of back up. Okay, let's go back into this conversation now. So what I had asked you about is what is there that you could be curious about? And what I would invite you to perhaps have some curiosity if you want at some point is what is it about this situation that feels threatening or dangerous Something's coming up for you. Something is present here around your safety. There's a tension here without trying to find answers, just being sort of gently curious about, hmm, something here. That feels like a safer approach. I think activating that curiosity instead of, you know, going right in for that hammer, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, why would I have had a response that was so deep? Mm-hmm. You know, what what is it about 
because I'm not in an unsafe environment. I'm not in a physically unsafe environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's something that I don't feel psychologically safe about. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's that's interesting. That's a good place of curiosity for me. Yeah. Think about what is it that I started out by saying I've lost my mojo, mm -hmm. you know, in some ways, which really means I'm really not psychologically safe. <laughs> that's what that comes to. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, that's actually very interesting. This gives me a lot to think about. And you also said I've lost my footing and that strikes me as an analogy that has an embodied element to it, mm. right? Our mind and our body are not separate. We sometimes would like to think they are, but if your sense of identity is experiencing a threat, like I can't be who I want to be, your body can register that. It can also activate old stuff. Mm. I think you're on to something with the way that you're kind of probing with that curiosity. Because when I think about it, within my community, I was a bit of a legend as a teacher. Every student knew me as like, oh, she's there. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, it was that. And now I'm still, you know what? I am really good at my job. I am really good at my job. But somehow I feel that if I don't bring all all of me that I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. That felt, that really resonated. I felt that in my body. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah, that's that. If I can't bring all of me, if I'm only bringing part of me, I'm not giving everything I can. Mm -hmm. Huh, that's interesting. Hmm. I think there's an opportunity for you to get curious about what it means to do a good job and who gets to define that. Just like <laughs> I said, at the end of the, you'll, you'll never do everything you need to do every day. So who gets to define what a successful day is? Mm, that's a really good point. <laughs> and really, does their opinion matter? Really, truly, and I don't mean that in a flippant way. Being a vice principal, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. You can't make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. So if someone's unhappy and says, you're not doing a good job, I have to have the courage to look at that and say, is that something that person is bringing in? Is it their baggage that is having them say that? Or did I truly not do a good job with this? And if I didn't do a good job, I'm really good at owning something. So if I've made a mistake, I will own it. I'll apologize. I'll take responsibility and I'll say, okay, where's our path forward? So I'm really good at that. A lot of people have a far more critical part of themselves. The criticism comes from within, that you're not doing enough comes from within than what we hear from other people. So that might also be something to explore is is the feedback that you're not doing a good job coming from within or from others? And then just, okay, well, what do you do with that? I can tell you, I have a really good critical friend um, 
who knows people on my staff? And I said to her, okay, listen, you got to give it to me straight. Like, honestly. And she's like, this is in your head. What are you doing? You know, she's very good and very direct. But that's something that I need to just go back to that conversation. I need to think about that a little more. So the criticism is coming from within then. You're not doing enough. You're not doing good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a harder voice to deal with because it's often been there for decades. Yeah. Yeah. What sustains you in your work these days? Ooh. One of my favorite things in the morning is greeting the students. At the beginning of the year, I would just say, good morning, everyone. You know, and now I go, good morning, good morning. So I say good morning to every single student. And, you know, they've got their headphones on. And, like, all get underneath so they can see me. And they're like, good morning. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't want to do it. But it's one of my favorite things in the day because in that moment, it's like our hearts are beating together and we're having that connection. And I think about these wonderful children who come into my building every day and I think and wonder, who did you connect with today? And my wondering is, is that the only connection? But what my hope is, is that they'll feel that power of that connection and spread it to other people. Mm-hmm. The thing that fills me is that connection. Just that knowing that in that moment, that student and I, that staff member and I, that parent and I, that community member and I are having that opportunity to commune together. And that's the greatest gift that I could possibly ask for. Mm-hmm. Beyond greeting students in the morning, do you have other moments of connection during the day? Oh, definitely. The reason I became an administrator is a student died by suicide, and I wanted to help students in a different way. I knew in that moment that there was something that I could bring. I've always been a very trauma-informed person in the way that I approach my students. And I think the gift for me is a student who has not been attending school. I called his mom. His mom wasn't able to come in. And I said to him as we walked to go and get him the supports that he needed, I said, was that as bad as you thought? He said, I thought for sure I was going to get yelled at and I was in so much trouble. And I said, no, you're not in trouble. We're just going to find out the ways in which you need to be helped and we'll figure it out and we'll do that together. That is why I do what I do. That's what made me leave the classroom. And I loved the classroom. So I want to encourage you to go back to your definition of what it means for you to be successful or to be making a difference or contributing to your community and make the connection between what you just shared with me about connecting with young people and that sense that you have about wanting to make a difference. And I just want to encourage you to think about how you can Notice those moments when they happen, catalog them, reflect on them, (laughs) help yourself shift the story you're telling by acknowledging that you're doing that every day in multiple ways. And, you know, I truly am. When I think about it in the ways that you're expressing it right now and that I've expressed to you, yeah, I am making a difference. I think that's why I'm not ready 
to retire because I could have retired five years ago. I don't want to retire because I know, I know there's something incredible that happens. I feel it every day. And actually, I do feel it every day. I do. I think I also would just invite you to continue recognizing when you're telling a story about what's going on right now. So next time you do feel less energy or you feel like you're just not showing up in the way that you want or whatever it is, when you have those feelings of sadness or shame or fear, recognize them and then consider hitting pause for maybe six months or a year on the story you tell and come back to it and see just because uh, who knows what's going on right now yeah you only have limited knowledge about what's going on so who knows but like you said the story you're telling is really undermining yeah your it is power man your well-being it is and I know that it's internal and I know that it's, I know that I'm the only one that can make a difference in it. There's no, no Tinkerbell coming in with a magic wand and saying, oh, here you go. Now you have it all together. Mm-hmm. It's something that I have to, I have to fight for it. I think that's the difference in what I haven't been doing. I need to fight for the story that's the actual true story and not the one that I seemingly have wanted to tell myself on occasion this year. Mm. See how that feels. Sometimes fighting for it can be healthy and galvanizing, and sometimes it can actually be undermining because it's requiring a kind of energy that you just may not have right now. True. So it's like a gentleness, knowing when to push myself and when to kind of hang back and just trust. Mm-hmm. And I do have a lot of supports. I do know how to access supports. I have a lot of amazing friends, amazing colleagues. So I'm really not alone in any of this. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's just that internal struggle that I need to just get myself through because I certainly don't want this. I certainly do not want to ride off into the sunset feeling like this. Mm. I do not. Mm-hmm. I want to finish my career with my head held high saying I did everything I could and I made a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm not finished yet. And you know, what you're experiencing right now is really normal. It's part of a cycle. If we think about even cycles in nature, there's a period of the year when things are dormant when there's just more stillness, more quiet. But this is also a human being thing. We go through phases, sometimes of growth or shift. Sometimes it's just biochemical, hormonal. We just go through phases where we feel less energized, motivated. And that's why my suggestion is hit pause on telling a story for six months or a year. You might feel different. I have to tell you that when you were saying that, my body was buzzing because Mm -hmm. it's like, yes, yes, Mm -hmm. this isn't my normal. Mm -hmm. This isn't my normal. This is maybe my time of dormancy, maybe my time of regrouping, maybe my time of growth. And, oh, that feels so good. 
it feels so good to acknowledge that I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in thinking that there are so many things that are so wrong when everything is actually so right. And really, I'm telling you, I am so blessed. I am so blessed that I get to do what I do every day. Mm-hmm. So maybe I just need that self-compassion that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, you raised that too. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. the awareness that, that that kindness towards yourself, that acceptance, self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's a really normal human thing, right? Yeah. That we forget this part. What do you think you can do to remember this option to be kind to yourself? It's not something that's new to me. So it's not like learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. It's more of a remembering. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing that I need to do is I need to just take that pause and listen, listen to my body. So if my body is telling me that there's something that's not feeling right, that's an indicator that there's something that I'm projecting that's not feeling right. And sometimes when I'm dealing with students, I'll take a breath with them just to help them calm down. And it's like, I so needed that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've got my watch that reminds me to get up every hour. Mm -hmm. So maybe my watch is reminding me to just take those breaths and just listen every hour as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thinking about what kind of structures help remind you, what kind of things, you know, words or reminders you can post up in front of your computer or your office wall. Oh, yes. Some of us, when we get really, uh, <laughs> some of us tattoo words on our forearms to remember because <laughs> it is remembering, right? That's what ritual and practices do for us. They hold that daily remembering of how we want to be in the world, who we want to be, how we want to treat ourselves. Yeah. And I think what happened with having been off for a time last year on leave, I think I just lost track of that, Mm. lost track of those habits. Mm. I really think that's it. It's just grabbing hold of the things that I know work for me. Because one of my dear colleagues has said, you know, I've been excellent in everything that I've ever done. And so are you? And mm-hmm. it's like, I thought about it. I thought, I've never really thought about it that way. So yeah, I have been pretty good at all the things I've done in my career. So maybe I should be celebrating it more instead of trying to find any deficiencies. You know, the irony about that is that when you're really good at something for a really long time, when you go through these normal phases of having less energy or whatever is going on, it feels really difficult because you've been good at something for so long. It's It's Right. But I bet we don't have to unpack it, but I bet you haven't been really good at everything in your life. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Those other phases of, oh, I wasn't so good at this. And then I got better at that. And then I slid back and then I got better. Just again, there's sort of a cycle. There's also, you know, we can unpack dominant cultures messaging about be good all the time as if we don't have and, you know, be the best, be excellent. And that's another direction that you can unpack if that feels like, yeah, I want to 
undermine dominant culture's ideology that tells me that I'm never good enough. And so this period right now when you're just, you know, maybe you're not as good as you were a few years ago. And that's okay. It's not permanent. Maybe it's just okay. Maybe you're still really good. But maybe I'm also changing. And so maybe who I thought I was five years ago isn't who I am today mm. because of my life experience. Maybe I'm adjusting. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's that possibility too. Maybe you're becoming better at other things. Maybe you're drawing more boundaries. Maybe you're who knows what. That's why I say again, like hit pause on the storytelling, come back to it in a year and then deliver the verdict. Yeah. That actually feels really right. It does feel right to me. I think I am leading with more compassion than I ever have. Mm. I think I'm listening better than I ever have listened. Mm. I think I'm really doing a lot of self-examination about where I fit in this world that's changing. So it's really actually a very powerful place to be. And yeah, I am changing. That's This is a powerful, powerful awareness. Thank you for this. And change requires a lot of energy. You know, it may be below the surface. You might be in the seedling state. There's a whole lot going on below the surface and hasn't sprouted yet. And it takes a lot of energy to go through a lot of change and growth. Well, I will tell you that when I was little, my I had a friend who was actually quite tiny, and I was six feet tall when I was in grade eight. So we were the Jolly Green Giant and the Little Green Sprout. Aww. So when you're talking about that, you know, you being the Jolly Green Giant, there's a lot, there's a real big beanstalk that needs to grow there. <laughs> so it was just, it just made me giggle when you said that. Yeah. Let yourself find the analogies that bring some lightness, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, maybe you're about to grow another six feet and <laughs> it's just growing pains. So, yeah. yeah, well, we will hit pause on this conversation there. And I say hit pause because I want to reconnect in a few months and see how you're doing and what the story you're telling is. But for right now, we will stop and just thank you so much for your vulnerability and your willingness to do this. It's my pleasure. Know that you create such a safe space and you've really allowed me to be who I needed to be and you've pushed me when I needed that push. Mm -hmm. So I'm most grateful for this chance to have this connection. Thank you. All right, folks, I hope that that conversation was helpful for you. I want to tell you just a little bit more about my experience in this conversation. So when I recorded it, I was in a state of such deep presence that when I went later to reflect on this episode and think about the framing and everything for it, I couldn't remember the details. I couldn't remember really much of the conversation at all. And that happens to me sometimes when I'm deep in a state of flow or um, then that happens when I'm coaching, happens when I'm writing. And really during the time that I was coaching Andrea, I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I wasn't trying to pull out different elements. I wasn't trying to get her to a specific endpoint. I was just present. 
And I was trusting the process. And more and more and more, I realized that this is what matters most, is the ability to be present. That is where transformation occurs. I'll also say it's where joy and ease and love occur, really only if you are fully present. There's just no other option. It's love and joy and ease that occurs in the moment. It doesn't occur in memory or in reflection or anticipation. And it has taken me many years to build both my coaching foundations so that I can enter that state as well as my entire way of being to be able to enter into a state of presence pretty easily and really um, enjoy being there and coach and experience what you heard. So I wanted to share that with you. Now, friends, if you are listening to this episode, I am guessing it's because you want to make your conversations more impactful. And if that is the case, then I really want you to consider joining our upcoming Art of Coaching Emotions workshop. So we refer to this workshop as the key to transformational coaching for a good reason. And you will find a link in the show notes so that you can learn more about it. So friends, if you found this episode helpful, can I ask you to share it with a friend? Just copy and paste the link or use the little share button on whatever app you're listening to. Share it with someone who might also find it useful. It's a really easy way to share this podcast and get this podcast out there even farther. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Leslie Bickford, for producing this podcast. And also, thank you, Stacey Goodman, for doing the sound engineering. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you next week. 